Welcome to Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition because wealth creation is different for Australian business owners. Today, we're talking about tracking your wealth. But before we get started, let's cue the disclaimer. Charlie here from Asset Blocks, and I need to let you know that this is a disclaimer. Grant, myself, and the Asset Blocks team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personalized financial or investment advice. We're merely sharing our own experiences and opinions, but you should absolutely seek the help of professionals before acting on anything you hear in this podcast or on our brand. This episode is important because when we relate it back to business, it just makes sense. So imagine your business where you didn't know any of your numbers. Didn't even know scoreboard. So you didn't know marketing spend and how many leads they were creating. Didn't know any sales numbers and the revenue they were getting. Uh, You didn't know any delivery numbers. Didn't know costs, didn't know profitability. So how would you actually ever know if you're growing, shrinking, making good decisions, making bad decisions, etc.? Well, wealth is literally exactly the same. But too few business owners manage it that way where they just don't look at it, don't know it, but they think they're still being successful. So if you're an Australian business owner who has wealth in various assets and you're not tracking them or you're just getting started and looking for some kind of way to do it, this episode is for you. And we've actually made our wealth tracker that Charlie and I use on a monthly basis available for you for free. So head over to assetblocks.com.au, click free resources and go and download the wealth tracker. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or even share it with someone else who you think this might be valuable for. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, Charlie, let's dive into tracking your wealth. So first up, let's 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 talk about horror stories. Have you always tracked your wealth? Or is this one where you're just like, or even have you always been part of the tracking? team where it's like, you must track everything to be successful. Do you know what? I have been incredibly diligent on tracking my wealth, but that the only reason for that is because initially in business, especially in the early days, I was actually terrible at tracking my business. So I think one of the unique distinctions here, and I'll even go on the record here and say advantages, is that if you run a business and you're used to tracking your business, getting your financials every month, staying on top of your marketing numbers, as you mentioned uh, in the intro of the show, a lot of the ideas translate straight across. They really do. Like tracking your wealth is like tracking your business because it is a business. Like there are financials that go on, there's assets, there's income, there's Uh, expenses, like all the same elements exist. So a lot of the principles carry on. But I will share this story. My first year in business, or maybe it was my second year, I actually thought the whole purpose of an accountant and bookkeeper was just to do compliance, right? So the game is you come into your accountants, you know, once a year before tax time, it's like, right, how do we pay the least amount of tax? Like, what we do, how do we sign this off? What's the maximum we can do here to bring down tax? And like, I just thought that was what everyone else was doing, right? That, that, that was what everyone else was doing. <laughs> Sadly, I think a lot of people are still doing that. I, I will say a lot of people are playing the game of like, they're, they just don't know their numbers well. They don't know their break-even point. They don't know um, if they're profitable. They judge their business by their bank account and maybe they got a lot of debts or like it's just a lot of people are running blind, but I'll save that for another episode. Um, anyway, it wasn't until I came across some works by like Keith Cunningham and some other people that were very influential and he reframed this whole thing around the idea of, well, what if this monthly 
reporting was useful. You could start do making better decisions, start being aware of things like run a better business by using this data and analytics set um, to make a big difference, and it did. So for me, initially, that first running business, especially those early years, like were costly because I wasn't aware that the tracking was a powerful tool. So um, that's kind of my lead up story to this and why I take tracking so seriously. And hopefully people can kind of resonate with that idea from their business. How about you, Grant? It was actually funny because when you were talking about everyone treats it as compliance. So I, I studied a Bachelor of Business at RMIT, mastering in entrepreneurship. And so after three years of full-time study, you'd go, yep, Grant, Grant would know a thing or two about the value of tracking and using this to make better decisions and things. No, no, no. I just learned compliance. That was great. <laughs> it was there was no here is a balance sheet, here is a profit and loss. And this is the additional things that you can do as an entrepreneur outside of a compliance of what an accountant or a bookkeeper might be looking at. So don't worry. Even if you haven't had like professional education, even that is the challenge between it. So I appreciate people like Keith Cunningham, who was like, if you don't know your numbers and continue to review them, you actually don't even know where you're going. But it was actually interesting. Like I knew about bookkeeping, I knew about accounting and the importance of it when I first started my, I'll call it my first official business. I had businesses before that, right? Um, so I started the business and I hadn't really sort of set up anything. Now I will say this is before zero and online accounting systems were a thing. Like this was when you had to go off the shelf and buy Myob, or which is like my own business, which is an online accounting thing and kind of install it. So I'm like, okay, that's too technical. I'm just going to have to throw this stuff to the accountant. So I didn't do any bookkeeping. I didn't track any sales numbers. I didn't track any stuff. I was just more conversations I had, the better it was. And it probably turned out to be the worst year I've ever had in business until I actually went and started tracking things, which didn't start off until I had a bookkeeper. But why didn't I have a bookkeeper? Because I didn't think I could afford it. And so I I actually made, like essentially dug myself a hole because I'm like, I know I should have figures. I don't know why. But then I like I can't afford them, and so then you get into this like this little spiral down. It's like when you when you're injured at sport, and you're like, ah, oh, well, I don't want to play, and so you don't go to the gym, you don't do anything, and and you actually get worse and worse and worse, and then you have to kind of come back. <laughs> that was exactly what I did in business, and it's the same for wealth. When I first started buying like crypto and shares and property, I wasn't tracking anything, even though I knew the value of it. Why? Because I'm like every quarter, I'm going to send it across to the accountants and the accountant will do it for me. But then the reports that they sent wasn't actually giving me any insights that I needed. And so it was very, we'll say the business was about 12 months for me to learn. <laughs> Where for my wealth, it was like a quarter. And I'm like, yeah, I got no tracking. I'm like, this is this is going to this is gonna drive me crazy. Do, do you know what I find so interesting here? So, so interesting. And I will absolutely preface this in saying that I hit the entrepreneurial jackpot. Uh, my partner, Bianca, is an accountant and bookkeeper and uh, I'm very, very fortunate to have someone in my home that can educate me and help me understand these topics. A lot of people don't get that educational experience, but I will admit she said the same things is when we started thinking of our numbers as a useful tool, she's like, they don't teach this. They teach compliance. Correct. Like you, you like there's this gap and I was like, wow, that's um, a fascinating thing. So I'll give her a shout out. She definitely deserves it. She's been immensely helpful here. But um, I, I want to bring this around because there's two stories that I see commonly like if you're not tracking properly, right, the, f- the idea is like your business might be actually doing really well, but you're restricting growth because you don't know you're doing as well as you are. Correct. So you're like, oh, got to stay frugal, couldn't hire. 
And then the reverse of that is if you think you're doing really well, which entrepreneurs, I will say in general, or business owners tend to embellish revenue. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're doing 100 grand a month in sale. We're killing it. Killing it. Employees. Life's good. Yeah. But um, to that point is if you're actually unprofitable or thinner than you think and you start making decisions on that, so you're aggressively high, you spend too much on marketing or you throw a, a big Christmas party or whatever it is, like you can actually undo yourself in that point. And I'm confident many entrepreneurs have unfortunately gotten to that point. And the one that comes up is like tax time comes around and they've got this tax bill and then they're like, they can't pay it and they end up with this crutch of a tax debt or something like that, which has them come undone. But let's bring this one around, Grant, because I think there's some interesting insights and discussions we've had around this topic already. Where would you like to take us? All right. So, I'm going to dive into the why, right? So, like, why is tracking wealth beneficial. So, this goes outside of the what do we do it for, when do we do it and all these things. We'll get into that later. Let's go to like the benefits, the outcomes. What can we really get out of tracking our wealth? So, I'm going to kick this first one off because this is like one of my favorite topics. And I, so, the first point that I put down for why was the constant realignment to wealth goals. In previous episodes, we've talked about the importance of wealth goals. We've shared our own wealth goals and you can go and listen to that episode. But the key here is I see it in a couple of different layers. So, for me as a business owner, I know if you say I need to hit a million dollars, every waking moment of my day will be how can I sell more, right? Who can I talk to? How can I network better? How can I get more leads, et cetera? And so, if you apply that same logic of business owners where we just like motivate ourselves to achieve that target, put that on on your assets, put that on your wealth and go, great. If I want to achieve a million dollars worth of my wealth, right, or my net wealth, what do I do? And the way that I can dangle that carrot is by tracking it, right? I can go, great, today I might be at $100,000. So, I got a deficit of $900,000 and great, I want to get there in three years. How am I going to plow forwards to it? And you can only have that if, if you're tracking it, right? So, if you're actually pushing up against it. So, I always relate this one back to business because I think that that constant realignment as opposed to Jack would say, your son, more, more, I want more, right? Going, well, why? Why do I want this and where am I going? So, for me, constant realignment is one of the most critical parts. Do you Have you found that of realigning to your goals? I think it stops me chasing shiny objects. Like, I think <laughs> if I'm tracking like I'm, and I'm looking at this, it's like, no, 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 like this is taking you where you've said you want to go. So, and then on the reverse of that, I think when I haven't tracked it or had clear goals, it's like, well, then any road will do. I find I'm way more tactical driven and I'll even say sporadic. And I've, I've certainly made some sporadic moves when I haven't been well aligned. So, I think this is a huge point. And I, I often think like, you know, people talk about, no, it's great to realign. And I do agree. But if the End result of that is that it stops me making poor decisions around, you know, making mistakes here or taking me off the path. I think that's kind of a hidden win within this. Yeah, where it takes you away from that FOMO of just being super reactive to what other people are mentioning. Uh, one sort of sublayer that I'll align to this is I'll use the term velocity. So it's it's one thing to have a wealth goal, but having that timeline of when do I want to achieve this by, I see it as critical. Like I get an itch every month where I'm not like buying a property or trying to buy something because I'm like, oh man, am I still going to achieve this? Am I going to push out this, the, the goal that I've set for myself further and further and further? So, having that goal and the timeline, I'll say, is like super critical. So, everything I purchase has a date against it. So, I know, okay, well, I haven't bought something in a couple of months. Let's start stepping this up. 
Uh, I'm going to jump onto number two here, Charlie. So, for you, what's uh, what's your second why as to the value of tracking wealth? Yeah. So, historical comparison. So, being able to track progress, I think, is a massive thing uh, in this as well. So, when I've done it from here, I found this massively important in like a few ways. Like if I can see something's working, so if I look to, uh, let's say, over a year and I come to the following year and I can say, wow, this is the progress that it's made, now I can say, well, do I want to do more of this mm. or do I want to do less of this? And I, I find that so incredibly helpful when making decisions around this and what we're going to do next with their wealth. I also think it really, really helps me understand if I'm aligned or I almost want to reframe this. It's like the historical comparisons really help me know, one, if it's working. I think that's a a really good point from there. Two, if it's exceeding or not exceeding my expectations versus when we got in it. And then three, how to know if I'm going to make my next move or not. Like, is this the right time to be putting more risk on the table, less risk on the table? Do I need to be more conservative or is this the time where things are doing well where I I might want to do more with it? So that historical comparison, I will say it also helps with motivation. We seem to be wired where we can see progress and we enjoy doing more of it. Yeah, that progress was one of the key ones that I had because I, I want to look at comparisons because, you know, when we're in the grind in the business day in, day out, day in, day out, and we never sort of, poke our heads up and look at the forest, uh, the trees through the forest because we're always in the forest ourselves. I see it as that. It's like this win where you get to stop, look back and say, wow, <laughs> I've actually added something here. But in addition to that, from a business perspective, the way that I look at it is I look at it from going, great, I will set a budget in a business for the next 12 months and I will align how am I going to achieve that. And then the only opportunity I get to see how well I had planned that and how well I had executed against that was by looking back after the year has finished or each quarter as the quarters have finished because that is the only feedback mechanism I get. Right? So you, to your point, Charlie, the feedback you get is by looking at your past comparisons. And I know in, in sort of one of these next topics, we're going to be talking about what, what happens if you see good things, bad things. Um, and so I see that co- historical comparison as unlocking a lot more than if I just gave you each month a here is where you here is where you're going and then I take it away, and next month it's here is how you were going. It's going to tell you a lot more. Is if you could look at those six, twelve, twenty four months and go, ah, oh, I see a trend happening here, or this asset wasn't as good as I thought, or whatever it is. So I I, I love that one. I want to use like an example here because I know we're talking like objectively about, you know, here are some benefits. But for myself, I think it can be helpful for people to go, well, how do you actually use this? So um, I I like to review my financials uh, monthly and I I believe you're on the same page with that. But something I have is like I have a set of rules that help me decide when I'm going to make my next investment. So, for example, I might want a certain amount of uh, reserve capital or I might want to – make sure that it's an appropriate time with risk to to deal with things. So I sit down and I look at that and I use that report I'm looking at every month to decide if it's time to make my next move or allocate some capital or investment or do something else. If I didn't have that, I just look at it and go, I would be continually like almost anxious towards like got to do more, got to do more, where this really helps me be balanced in the decisions and I think make fewer poor decisions to quote Keith which is such an important game when it comes to wealth, right? Like if you can avoid the mistakes, like you can definitely do better. 
and temperament is an advantage here, not a disadvantage. And maybe in another episode, I'll talk more specifically about some of the rules I have, but it might simply be I don't want my debt level to go over a certain amount or my loan to value ratio go over a certain amount. And if I'm tracking that well, it can tell me when I'm ready for another property. But I'll, I'll go into another one here that I think is one of the key benefits, uh, which I know is on our list here as well, is like if you're tracking things well, it makes it much easier to assess your borrowing. Mm. I think it makes it much easier to get loans approved. It makes it much easier at tax time as well. Like if you're doing things well, it's not this frantic mess of getting it together. And I just think this is the difference between being like proactive versus reactive. And like, I know which side of this fence I want to sit on. And there was, a, it's actually, I'm going to piggyback off that because there's, there's a great story uh, from an Australian property developer. And he was, he was on a Facebook Live, I think it was like two weeks ago, right? And he was talking about sort of why he gets into property and how he's approaching property and things like that. And he shared this really interesting story and he kind of glossed over it, but I found it quite fascinating where he had hit up against his borrowing capacity, but he had a whole heap of properties where he was making money. So they were positively geared, not negatively geared, right? But the bank was looking at all of his properties in one lens of great, just liabilities. And so he actually got knocked back for a loan. So he applied for a loan to buy a new property. They said, nope, you've got too much debt. We can't do it. And he was scratching his head saying, well, how could I actually solve this? And he had his own wealth tracker in spreadsheets. This is what it's costing me. This is what the value of each property is. And this is the rents coming in. And so he packaged it all up, gave it to his lender that passed it on to the bank. And the bank actually reassessed based off his tracker because they validated the numbers that he had against their own numbers and was actually able to get one more property out of it. And I found that fascinating because I'm like, wait a minute, this is now a mechanism outside of just a, a realignment and some other points we're going to be talking about. This can actually be used to realign accountants, potentially realign banks if there is the opportunity for that, realign mortgage brokers, realign a whole heap of people who are on your wealth team, which we've spoken about before, via a single document, right? Because they go, this is where you're tracking to. This is how you're going. I'm going to take that on to continue pushing you to get to where you're looking to go. But doesn't that make sense? Like imagine yeah. we were doing like um, in business, imagine we're doing like a round of raising capital, which I know you've got extensive experience for, right? If you rocked up to that meeting and you're just like, guys, oh, give me some money. It's like, do you think they'd give you some money? But if you walk in with like really well thought out documentation of going, I track my stuff like this, this is where I'm heading, these are the projections, these are the risks, like I would like this amount of money and it's like I would be much more inclined to lend money to someone who's showing a level of responsibility and organisation than someone who's just like, well, how much would you give me, right? Exactly. And the, the track record, I've been doing this for a couple of years, which the guy had. Right, so I've been doing this a couple of years. Here's how I'm mitigating my risk. To your point, this is where I'm trying to get to, and you are now this lever I'm going to push on to get me there. And they go, great. Well, let's let's go and do this together. And yeah, it, it, but it's one thing that a lot of people wouldn't even outside of people don't track wealth enough now. But it's also this other thing that they go, oh, no way. It's like the epiphany of we just don't know what we don't know. You could send that to a bank, and they will look at that and consider it interesting. <laughs> Right, and so it's hopefully opening these ideas of going, wow, there's so much more value to this than what just meets the eye. Yeah, and I'll throw in one more point here. The last one we'll do before we get into the actual, like the uh, some of the specifics. But for myself, I think the biggest reason I do it is sleep at night factor. Like 
your wealth is such an important part of your life. I'm not going to say money is everything or money can buy happiness, but I think lack of money can certainly bring unhappiness or unnecessary stress uh, into home. So it's an area we want to look after well. It's a key area of life to put effort into. Now, for myself, if I wasn't tracking anything and I was going to bed every night like wondering how this stuff's doing and just like on hopium going, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, that would be very stressful. Like I want to know that I'm on track. I want to know things are good. I want to know where everything is at so that if adjustments need to be made, I can do it now rather than find out way down the road that I was way off course and that it's not going to take me to that place. So that sleep at night factor is just a, a huge one that is underrepresented here. Like yeah, and massive reason. I'll add like that. Another part that I always think of when you and I talk about that sleep at night factor is that there's always that niggle at the back of your head. So I've had multiple businesses before, and some of the businesses were doing really well, some weren't doing that great. And the ones that weren't doing that great had a small amount of revenue, small amount of costs. So everyone's like, oh, well, you just don't need to worry about it. It's kind of on autopilot. It's not the end of the world. I'm like, yeah, but there is this little part in the back of my head that's thinking about that thing that is just like, uh, is it going to fall over today? Is like a website server going to go down? Is So in property, is like something going to break, <laughs> right? And then the second that happens, it comes straight to the forefront. And I'm like, oh man, now i got to deal with this, right? And so that sleep at night factor is the stress that we have because well, what happens if something happens? But if we're tracking it and we go, oh, I've got all these mitigations in place, which I'm about to jump onto, I don't need to worry about a single thing. <laughs> and so it's the complete the sleep at night factor, as you will. And there's two points that I trigger off onto this. First one is what I mentioned, which is risk mitigation. So, uh, and I'm going to dive deeper into this one. I'll get to the second one in a second. I look at my tracker as a way to mitigate risk from a visibility perspective, which is what we're talking to, but which is what a lot of people would probably understand from a surface level. But on the layer below that, I actually use my tracker to run mild scenarios. So more recently, Everyone's in, at the moment is worried about interest rates increasing and they fluctuate all the time and stuff like that. And so people are like, oh, it might go up 1% or 100 basis points, which is the same thing. Is that meaning I'm going to have to sell my properties and do all of those things? So you know what I did, Charlie? I went into my tracker, increased all of my interest rates by 1% and said, I'm fine. Like that was it. <laughs> there, was the, there was a sell that I could just go update my percentages on my debt and see what impact that's going to have. That's so awesome. That is so, so awesome. And like you can, I didn't, I really should have included this like forecasting. If you know exactly where you're at, like you can forecast how things might be different in the future. Mm -hmm. So what if you bought another property, if you start buying more shares, if you run a crypto something or DeFi farm or whatever you're getting up to there, like what, what effect could this have on? But if you're not tracking things well, like how do you measure the effects of things? You can't. You can't. And that's, and that's the interesting thing where you see, um, and obviously we're in quite a lot of Facebook groups with Australian business owners who are investing. And if you did want to join, come across to Asset Blocks community on Facebook and join our group um, where people are talking about, oh my gosh, what impact is this going to have and things like that. But everything that they talk about seems to be speculative. And what I mean by speculative is that they don't actually know the real impact it could have on their portfolio or on their assets. Why? Because they're not tracking it. If you're tracking it, then you can go, hypothetically, what happens if land tax doubles? What happens if interest rates go up by a percent? What happens if I don't have a tenant for a month? What? And you've got the full scenario planning sitting in this spreadsheet. Just make a copy of it or in whatever tool you're using. Great. Make a copy. See the impact. 
and go, cool, I should freak out. How can I manage that? Or cool, I shouldn't freak out. That's fine. The world will do whatever the world's doing. I can't influence oh, it. it helps. Sleep and eye factor. That Sleep and eye factor. Exactly. Scenarios, forecasting. Like you can see how this tracking, like it sounds like the most boring topic once again is like, you know, tracking your wealth. Oh, cool. You know, go and look at it. But I, I really do hope the people that are listening to this uh, recognize what a powerful instrument tracking your stuff well is. And this applies to business and to wealth, but particularly in this wealth scenario, I think it's. Um, I don't know what it is, and I'd love your opinion on this, Grant. Why do you think so many people look at um, wealth creation and go, like, even though it is a business, right, it is, why we don't think of it that way or why people don't represent it in the same way? They just kind of, like, buy stuff and, like, go, all right, cool. Yeah. I'm going to use what I think. So, have you ever gone to your mechanics and found out that his car is always the one that he never works on, but everyone else's car is the one that he works on? It's almost that. So, I see us as business owners, we'll go and work on our business, but our house from a business perspective is almost the one that gets left behind. Like, I don't think we deliberately do it. I I think that, and it's not that we're trying to avoid it. So, it's not like we are sitting down at night going or in the morning or during the day, which is one of the best things about business owners because we should have that flexibility where we can go, it's 11 a.m. I'm going to go look at my, my wealth and look at properties or look at crypto or look at shares. I don't no one sitting down saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this deliberately. So life is busy thing. Life then- is busy. There are other things I have to worry about. And also comes back to the conversations we've had before. Education is hundred percent of what they focus in on. So they learn about business. They learn about selling more, marketing better, running operations same, zero percent on or a very small percentage on wealth. Yeah, there's so like this hidden money thing, right? It's like, when's the last time you went out for dinner with someone, excluding you and I here? Exclude, <laughs> I have to exclude this because we have very interesting conversations these days. Um, but I would say that when's the, I can't tell you a time I've gone out for dinner with anyone or even to a barbecue and it's like, oh, you know, what'd you do last weekend? Yeah, I spent half a day tracking my wealth. Yeah. No so, way. it's like, it doesn't spark the insight where you go, hmm, maybe I should be tracking my wealth. But it's like when you go and meet with people, it's like, oh, you know, hey, been, oh, I've been really busy at work. So that seed is planted. It's like, oh, oh, well, work is acceptable or business or whatever it is. So we go and do that. Or I went to the footy and then, oh, well, maybe I'll go to the footy. The, the conversational aspect and like social normalities and societal expectations are just like so different here. It's a hidden thing. And it's a lot. We, we speak about how people, people, people want to be rich internally but they don't want to be externally rich why because a lot of their friendship groups will like shun them because why they're jealous or they just feel as though that they are special ones or i've had situations where friends have been leached off and you hear about it on sports and athletes and things like that where like oh, i signed a big contract and then all all my family came from the woodwork asking for money <laughs> and things like that um and so it's almost like society is it's kind of pushed up against it where like you will not represent some of these wins and successes in business and life when you're surrounded by people who might not be receiving those same wins or might not be playing this, the same game. And so we're very fortunate, uh, you and I, Charlie, where we live. I actually think we've helped each other because we've been able to be so transparent to it, where it's almost like the, the people that surround you is will make up what you are. And again, this comes back to why Asset Blocks was created because we struggled to find anyone outside of you and I to go, who do we talk about this with? Like we found some amazing things like and we talk to people and they just go, nah, it's too complex or nah, it doesn't relate to business. And they almost shun it as a, no, I, I don't need this. And so I, I think it's, I actually think it's a, a deeper underlying problem. 
but I'll also liken it to a concept of, right, so imagine a car. So your car breaks down. You can immediately feel that pain because I can't get from A to B. But if my personal wealth isn't growing because I'm not tracking it, I don't have the same pain, right? So the car breaking down stops me doing something that I want to do now. We're not tracking wealth and not achieving toward and moving towards a wealth goal stops my ability in the future, but it doesn't actually impact me today, which yeah, means that put, put it off. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So it's because I don't know and I don't have that feedback. It doesn't matter, right? And so um, I've sort of we've definitely become competitive, I, and not intentionally, but it's like it's like, a, but in a positive way, very positive. It's like there's a keeping up with the Joneses aspect between us. Yeah. In a good way. And I know that sounds so weird, but it's like you see so many people buying cars they can't afford because someone else got that car or buying a house they can't afford because, you know, they want to look that way in their friendship circles or whatever it is. But it's like imagine if you could align your whole network where the keeping up with the Joneses was actually around good behaviours. Yeah. It was actually around things that support your goals. And I'll just go and I'll say one more thing on this. Is one more. If you- if you surround yourself with a group of people that can't celebrate your success and whenever they see you succeeding in life, they view it as them not succeeding and it's a zero-sum game, get rid of those people. I agree. And, and it's hard to say. Oh, well, it's easy to say, sorry. It's hard to do. Where like people – and it was, it was a book that I was reading years ago which was talking about how the ones closest to you are typically the ones that try and bring you down the most. Right, So if you've got people around you where you aren't comfortable or confident sharing, hey, this is what I'm trying to do because you'll fail. Like Charlie, you and I have had wins and we've had losses, right? Are they going to pick you up or are they going to go leave that party and say, phew, lucky it wasn't Charlie when he lost money. Far out. That's why we didn't do that. Those are the people that you don't want around them. You want people just, to your point, Charlie, to celebrate, swing from the rafters going, holy smokes, what are you going to do? I was talking to a friend of mine. <laughs> On Facebook Messenger, his business is crushed over COVID. Like, um, well, his biggest month was just over one and a half million dollars in a month, and I won't in a month, and I won't name names. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. When are you going to get to two? And how are you going to get to two? Right? And he's like, no one's asked that. Like, where is this going? And I'm like, that's because, dude, I'm I want to celebrate your win. Like, this is awesome. Let's push this. How are you going to get there? Like, how are you going to go? Great. And like that conversation, I'm sure to him is completely different to the conversation he has with a lot of other people going. Well, oh, like how lucky are you and, and all these kind of things. And that's that's the kind of people you want around you. That's, that's the that's community exactly. asset block strives to be, by the way. Exactly. Now, I am going to bring this back to the why because <laughs> I still want to sort of close some of these things out. Because uh, the final point, which goes to your exact last point around forecasting because there's a, a really interesting sort of view on this. So, we've spoken a, a lot about historical comparisons, that transparency, no to buy, you know, no to sell, alignment of wealth goals, etc. But your forecasting point, I just don't think we've done it justice enough because if you're tracking your wealth, and I, I know I've done a complete 180 on what we've been talking about around sort of your, your friendships and things like that, but I just need to make sure we make this sort of known, is if you are tracking your wealth and understanding the forecast of where you are trying to get to, it really helps you make different decisions at a point in time. Charlie, you've shared a, a story before about a, a place that you had developed and it sort of used up quite a bit of capital, uh, which was in previous episodes. And I know we're going to dive deeper into that into future episodes. But recently, uh, Hazel and I have bought a place and we were evaluating whether or not we were going to do a renovation on it. 
And the way that we evaluated that was the forecast. So we have got our wealth goal that we are trying to achieve very quickly. And the question was, is this going to move us closer to our wealth goal, which is mostly cash flow? So all we cared about is, is this initial cost upfront, which is going to take away from buying another property, going to move our cash flow in such a positive way that it's going to help bring forwards that wealth goal? So what did we do? We opened the wealth tracker. We like we literally copied a previous property that we bought because this is a property. And we went, what happens if we change the cost of this house to be the increase on renovations, which is like $20,000? And we looked, where does this get us? What impact does this get us? We looked at the bank account. It's going to subtract that. And now we're forecasting. So we've got two scenarios. And now we get to talk about conversations of saying, great, this is what's going to happen, which the rent difference was 120 bucks a week before and after the rent, by the way. So is the $20,000 going to make it make sense over the next couple of years? Because now I've got this tracker to compare it against. I must say, I feel like um, it's become habitual for us. I'm, not, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I actually use my wealth tracker a lot more than I realize. Heaps. Like a lot more. <laughs> Every decision. It, it's, and we're going to get into sort of when we usually like regularly review them. But there are so many ad hoc or sort of out of sequence events that we use it on, right? Absolutely. I'm going to buy something. Yes, no, maybe. Um, but holy smokes! By the way, if anyone's listening, we we can go into this quite quite deep. <laughs> do you think? Do you think we sold the audience on? Yeah, I got to track this. You like, I really got to be on top of it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, there's, there's so many deep holes that this episode can keep getting in, going into without sort of coming back up. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep making sure that we're sort of plowing down this. <laughs> so, Charlie. Imagine I'm playing at home and I'll always play this because I'll always put the hat of the listener on. I've gone, are we adding value? Has someone listened to sort of the last few minutes gone? That's been valuable. I think one of the big things that we really need to cover off here is great. I know I need to track wealth and there's a myriad of benefits that I can leverage that for. Awesome. Thanks, guys. What are you actually tracking? So, did you want to dive into a little bit around uh, what numbers do you track and how do you split it and how do you think about it just so that we can give the people at home a, a view and obviously they can go and download the wealth tracker on assetblocks.com.au. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the detail that sits underneath wealth trackers. Let's do it. And uh, we're going to provide a template for people that are listening. If you're in this episode so far, you will be able to get a copy of our wealth tracker as well. We're uh, putting that up. Uh, by the time this episode is out, it will be live on the site. Um, so, um, I love this saying, it's like, you know, uh, good artists, uh, copy, great artists, steal, idiots, reinvent the wheel. And uh, I think the true is the truth of that is apparent here. So in business, there is fantastic reports called a balance sheet, a P and L and a cash flow report. Yep. So what I looked to do when we started tracking our wealth is replicate those factors and I'll express how I think of each of them. So the balance sheet in my mind is tracking like asset value. So this is the value of the property or the share portfolio or the crypto, like assets, tracking the value of the assets. The P&L is helping me understand the profitability on a month on month basis, like, yep, this expense, this income. And then the cash flow report is telling me uh, how much money came in versus how much cash left and like what's the net position of that in the month so i apply that methodology or ideation straight across to wealth that's exactly what we use and it doesn't matter if it's property or crypto or shares or bonds or any one of those investments it will fit into those categories and if i'm on top of those three i feel very well informed 
I feel like I'm in a, a solid position to uh, go into the myriad of benefits we've mentioned before. So that's how I think about it. That's how I view it. And then from a timing perspective, I really, again, I like monthly and I'll express why because that's how I do my business stuff. Yeah. Like I just want to align all of that over. So if you're a business owner, which if you're listening to this, I would hope you are, and you're used to receiving monthly reports and monthly financials, I just want to add another category. I just want to go, cool, I've got my business set of reports here and then I've got my uh, wealth set of reports here and they're aligned. They're all in the same language. They intertwine. They help me understand things in the same way so that I'm not trying to, again, reinvent the wheel in a different way. This is just a bolt-on for me to have at my disposal. Yeah. So for everyone sort of playing at home, uh, if you're a business owner and you don't know what a balance sheet, P&L or profit and loss and a cash flow um, take this as a bit of a recommendation where you should probably be aware of them in your business because of the value and power that they do provide. And if you're listening to this and you might not be a business owner, think of it in the sense of tracking, to Charlie's point, the asset value. So if you bought a house and it is valued at the same price that, that you bought the house at today, great, that is your asset value. And I, I always separate it into two parts for this. It's like, what did I buy it for and what is it currently at? Or if you sell it, what did I sell it for? So it's it's like those point in time references based on any actions that, that you do, right? And that is the easiest way to think about that value is like, what did I buy it for? What is the market value it at as today? And if you have sold it, what did I sell it for? Because you can see, did I sell it for more? Did I sell it for less? Is it now worth more or is it now worth less for those assets? And you can do that very easy for property. The thing with property is you obviously can't go to a website and go, oh, it's worth this today. You have to go and proactively get a revaluation from a bank, which, Charlie, you and I kind of do it like every six months depending. Um, and We recommend that people do it maybe 12 months depending on your size of your portfolio and what you're trying to do. Crypto and shares, you can get them automatic, right? Crypto is online 24-7, so you get that real time. And shares, obviously, they have the share training window on Monday to Friday. But again, it's not really outdated by the time you get it. And so that is the asset value. And then what Charlie was- Do you want me to dive a little bit deeper in that one before we go across? Let's do it. Yeah, I think it's important here because, um, and I'll do it for each asset class. So on the balance sheet for property, I'm tracking the value of the asset. So what is that house worth? Um, How I get that data is I get a valuation done by the bank every six months, and then I update that into the balance sheet. Yes, that is a longer timeline than other things, but that's kind of the horizon I look at. I also track my loans on my balance sheet. So how much debt do I have? Now that will change on the basis of if you're paying down a loan or if an interest rate changes or anything like that, but that will show up there as well. Um, And then if I was to sell a property, that's where that would be affected largely, or you would see that. Um, On the P&L, I'm tracking like the uh, rent as income. And I'm also tracking like the expenses. Did we repair things? Like that's how I very much view that. And then cash is just the movement in the bank account. Money came in, money came out. The P&L is the what. The cash flow report is just measuring the ins and outs in any one month. Now, um, often people get confused between P&L and uh, cash flow reports when they're in their business, but it just depends. You might be doing like cash-based accounting or accrual accounting, which I won't dive too deeply in as that gets a, a thing from there, but that type of awareness is true. Now, when it would come to shares in this example, like the value of the shares, which is so much easier to get, as you've said, like you can use an app and get it every month or day or hour, really, these are- And it would tell you the change itself. (laughs) 
Now, I will say there is a danger in over-measuring when it comes to some of these as well. Like if you're playing a, if you're a day trader, obviously you're probably going to track things more quickly or be on top of your charts and numbers. But like from an investing point of view on a long-term horizon, like I think monthly is fine. Like you're uh, doing it any more than that would have to question the strategy. Um, but again, so asset value is the price of the uh, share you have or stock, where if you're getting a dividend from that, that would fall into that income category like the rent would. So I'd be tracking that as in my P&L uh, differently or any expenses. Expenses with things like brokerage fees or maybe okay. you're paying for some research or got something that you're uh, having in on there. Um, so that's how I view it there. Crypto, much the same as the share stuff, except you've got the value of the, let's say, the coin in the assets. Then you've got any income might be from uh, staking it or doing a DeFi farm or um, any type of thing in that space. And then uh, expenses, much the same. You can have like brokerage fees, maybe some software again. Um, and then you've got your cash flow report in where like where it's all moving in and out of. Uh, particularly in the crypto space, the tracking tools aren't as good as the share market yet. Uh, I suspect they'll get there, but you really want to be on top of it if you're uh, coming around to tax time because I realize that in that world, you might be swapping sushis for unicorns for bananas and you know, like very unique ideas and how you might be trading or doing things which could cause huge complexities for you at tax time. I, d- I do love anyone who doesn't understand or is not part of crypto just listening to this going, I can trade sushis for bananas. <laughs> you legitimately can. That, that is <laughs> uh, not unfounded. That is a real thing. <laughs> I just I, I love the fact that it's like if you got no context and that is like what the hell is Charlie talking about? But yes, they are like coins and, and things that you can change trade a crypto which is fantastic the, the the layer that i'm going to add on top of this Charlie, is it's one thing to understand property shares and crypto in in isolation right and you could almost go to the sub layer of isolation which is if i've got three properties i'm tracking three independent properties which obviously each property has their balance sheet the pnl and the cash flow statement same with shares you might be trading out of the united states and australia so you might have two share accounts, right? And so obviously they're separated, et cetera. It is really important to roll all of them up together to actually understand like your wealth position. Uh, why, why is this important? So think about it from a risk mitigation perspective. So if I've gone and bought all my house, so 100% of my wealth sits in houses and they are all on the same street in the same suburb, I am more susceptible to risk where if that suburb doesn't do too well in comparison to everything else or it goes down, that I have no mitigation to that, right? And now that could be a really good strategy. It might go up and all those kind of things. And that depends on your personal risk profile, right? Like you might just be, I'm down for this. This is what I'm for. Same with in crypto or in shares, that's completely fine. But to have the ability to see different groups of assets as they are distributed across different asset classes or different types of investments, having that roll up into a summary, just think of a pie chart right? It's going to be the easiest description I can have. Pie chart's got four parts in it. What cash do you have left for investments? So this is not your living in cash. It's like this is, so I might have $100,000 in cash to buy more investments. So that's my liquidity. What do I have in property as an asset value? Again, I'm talking about asset values. What do I have in shares? And what do I have in crypto? Right? And it will tell you the numbers and the percentages. Rolling that up just allows you to understand and compare all of the assets you have together and how they have gone over a period of time from an asset value and the asset cash flow. So dividends for shares, uh, yields for crypto, 
rental income for property, etc. And just having it roll up into one view saves you trying to figure this out in your head when you grow your portfolio because you won't just have one house. We're hoping that you get multiple, same with shares, same with crypto. So having that roll up supports you for growth but also can support the validation of your wealth goals. I just think it's just like business, right? If you've got four different products, of course you're going to want to itemize them differently. You're not just going to want to see total sales. You want to know, well, how much did this sell versus this sell? And like, is this one more profitable or is that one more profitable? Yeah. Like it would be uh, ignorant in business and negligent, both of them, if you didn't track your stuff in that way. Um, so just applying that here is, is the message. I, I will say you brought up an excellent point there about as you get deeper into this, the tracking does become more complex. Like if you've just got um, maybe one stock, right? maybe all you're investing is in one stock, well, you can nearly just log into like the trading app and be able to, I've got a really good visual on where I'm at. Yep. Um, but as soon as you layer in multiple asset classes, multiple properties, multiple shares, multiple cryptos, mo- multiple of these things, that's where I, I really feel and uh, the next thing is that you should definitely get some help with either a bookkeeper or assigning yourself enough time to collate this data well and have good reporting. Like at a certain point, and I'm at that point now, there's no way I could assign the time to managing this all properly and making sure that is done. Like just like in business, you hit a point where it's like, right, it makes sense to have a bookkeeper. Same principle applies here. At a certain point, it makes sense to have a bookkeeper or get some help or tools to make this whole experience a lot easier as well. And the best thing about tracking your wealth is that you don't really you don't really have the compliance that sits within it. Right. Yes, a sale of an asset will trigger off impacts to a trust or your personal income tax return. Uh, 100%, yes, you need to be aware of that. However, there is no, your spreadsheet must look like this and must report this. The tool you use must integrate into the Australian tax office and superannuate it. No, like it, when you're tracking your wealth, your accountant will deal with all of those other, when you sell for more than you bought it for, you need to pay tax on that. Great. Yes. Your accountant will need all of that, but when you're tracking it, tracking your cash flow, tracking all of these different things, you can structure it in a way that supports you for your decision-making for the structure that you're going for as opposed to trying to appease the government. Now, we have gone through quite a few spreadsheets ourselves, Charlie, things that we liked, things that we didn't like, too granular, too high level. Uh, We weren't able to get the insights that we were hoping for. So, again, we're going to put up the, the one that we use up on the website that you can go and get. Um, but just note that one of the benefits that I see is I can change it. <laughs> I can make a new graph. I can put a new input. I can, if I really want to see supplies or if I really want to categorize it the way I want to categorize it, cool, change it. Right? It's not like it's going to have some inverse flow and impact because it still provides me that same benefit. So you've kind of hinted here, Grant. Do you find, and I'll get to the tool itself, do you find a spreadsheet or a Google sheet is the best option uh, for you at this point or are you using different tools at the moment? So. It's a good question. I will articulate this in a layer of maturity to go to that point of, okay, as you continue to grow. So when starting out, a single Google sheet was super easy. Like, And I would just mostly track a very high level um, asset value, what they buy it for, what it's currently worth and what's the, the debt on the, on the property. So what principal do I have left on my home loan? Uh, and then I'll track just a very high level buckets of cash flow. Right, so what roughly is it going to cost me each month and what roughly is it going to bring me in each month? Then as I acquired more, the, it was still in the Google sheet and it became more sophisticated. 
which was great. Now I want to track the incomings and outgoings to your point around a full cash flow position. Why? Because I'm using this to model and understand more about what I'm spending for the future things I'm going to buy. And so then the spreadsheet came into that. Now as I'm starting to butt up against the time it takes for someone to manage that spreadsheet, to deal with all the invoices, to deal with all the rent coming in, to do all of those things. I'm now looking at a tool to help with that. Now, the intermediary that I've used to help me out is just a tool that pushes a bank account or bank feeds. So from my mortgage uh, and my offset accounts, which receive the the rent as well as going to pay for the mortgage and pay for all the contractors that we need, et cetera. That just pushes it all into one Google Sheet. And I just query the Google Sheet. But now it's it's that I've outgrown that. And that for anyone who wants that tool, it's like, I think it's like $80 a month and it's tillerhq.com. And it just connects to bank accounts and puts it in a Google Sheet. Not fancy, pretty rudimentary. But now I'm starting to look at other tools like Zero and how do I have every property and every asset that I own as its own line item so that I can start cash flowing and factoring in the entire sort of portfolio that I've got. Um, and so that's kind of the next step that I'm into. I'm probably still sort of three to six months out of that, but it's not a conversation of, well, it costs $50 a month or anything like that. Now it's at a conversation of efficiency and effectiveness, right? Just because you, you used to be able to hold it all together and now it's not being able to be held all together. So I'm going to have to go outside it. Um, what about yourself? I suspect that you might have been slightly different journey or maybe even a, a similar journey. Well, this is where I've been very fortunate to live with an accountant. So it's like I think I have an unfair um, – I definitely have an unfair step here, like which is very nice, I will say. Um, so thank you, B. Um, <laughs> we started with a spreadsheet and then much to your point, it was easy when it was small and then as it got more complex, we now use Xero um, for a portion of it. But the interesting thing is the Xero the component is awesome for like as you mentioned, like the bank feeds. Yep. So you can very much check um, multiple different accounts and a whole bunch of stuff. You can also generate these reports we're talking about fairly easily, which is the a real balance sheet for like a business or a P&L or a cash flow report. However, we tend to actually export the finals in zero back into a spreadsheet because we want to apply formulas or forecasting, which can't be done in that tool. So we use zero in an interesting way where it's almost like it's a part of the process to automate things and it's very, very useful for some things. But at the end of the day, we come back to a spreadsheet because we want the data presented in a certain way or we want to see things on a certain sheet or we want to be able to uh, do things that zero can't with forecasting. So I still think a spreadsheet is the ultimate option right now. I know there are some people developing software um, to do this at the moment, but for what I'm doing in the way I'm thinking about as a business owner, I haven't seen something that's perfect for me yet. So <laughs> I've had one of the benefits of, so one of the other companies that I sort of co-founded many, many, many moons ago, uh, we help uh, large enterprise organizations, like billion dollar organizations do sort of really big projects to reduce costs. And so think about an, an organization that makes maybe $5 billion of revenue in a year and they're trying to cut out couple of hundred million dollars of yearly costs out of the business and so what they do is they go to finance and they've got it all in a big tool like it might be oracle or sap which is a really really big financial tool think think zero on steroids right and you know what they do so there are bespoke tools for forecasting for decisions for all these things and scenario planning and all this stuff they've used them all and these top cfos 
will go into an SAP and Oracle, export it into Excel <laughs> and use Excel to do billion-dollar forecasting, right? And like that is the default for everybody. I've flown to Switzerland to see a global organization do exactly the same thing. Like they were going for a couple hundred million dollar EBIT improvement, which is earning before interest and tax. And it was an export into an Excel spreadsheet that was like 50 megs. So it was, it was that's, which is the size of the spreadsheet. So it's a very, very, very big spreadsheet. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> you don't get to a size where Excel becomes irrelevant. And they're like, no, it becomes more relevant. So using these tools, yeah. And you, if you're using these tools and you're still exporting into a Google sheet or into an Excel file, no that you are doing it the exact same way as a lot of billion dollar companies and it will probably be the same way forever, right? So don't think, oh, there's a point that I'm ever going to get away from it. Probably not because you can copy, paste, build your formulas, build graphs, whatever you want in these things to make it so much easier for you. So there, there you go. That's your validation, Charlie. I'm, I'm not surprised. The customization that is available and then also ease of use, yeah. widely adopted, tutorials on everything on YouTube if you really get stuck. That's and we're comfortable with it. Completely. And that's, yeah. So, I love, I, I do love that. So, using manual tracking and like I've personally, when we first started out, I was putting in like invoices with like invoice 1002 from XYZ plumbing and that was cost us this and it would just track it all, which is awesome. And it's, funnily enough, it would still work to this day. It's just more manual. Um, but I think the key to it is obviously just having that tracking. And I know you and I talk about this a little bit, um, but we kind of talked about it before, but I just want to reinforce it. That bookkeeping, we don't all have a Bianca as much as we wish we did. Um, so getting a bookkeeper to help you track this, because obviously your accountant who is probably doing your business is probably doing your personal accounts and all of those kind of things. So having a bookkeeper help you track all of this is, is key, right? Because it's probably not the best use of your time, whether you might use virtual assistants, you might use on like someone in Australia to do bookkeeping. It's completely fine. Even if I had to pay for it, though, it would be cost-effective. It's not like this is unreasonable. I think that like a bookkeeper might cost $50 an hour in Australia for a bookkeeper, yep. I think, about that. You might find some a little bit more, some a little bit less. But the whole, thing, the whole idea is it might take an hour a month. It uh, might fine. take two hours a month to do this when they're in flow. It's not a huge project in comparison to the value it creates. Well, because all you need to do is out-earn that which is quite easy when you've got a portfolio that justifies that kind of tracking charlie i do have to say this episode has gone a, a lot bigger than first anticipated there's so much more that we can go into from a, a wealth tracking perspective but a couple of the key ones that i wanted to talk about is that if you look at this topic from a one dimension which is okay i just need a spreadsheet to track incomings and outgoings it's not the case Right. When you're tracking your wealth, think of it, always think of it in those three parts that, that you were mentioning, which is what's the asset value, aka balance sheet? What is the, the cash flow, which is obviously the, the cash flow? So, what is the incomings and outgoings of my bank account? But then also, what is the profit and loss? And I always use profit and loss last because that's what you're looking for. What expenses did I make in total for the month? And what income did I make in total for the month? And what net change did I receive? Did I make money? Or did I lose money for each asset? If you think about that in those three buckets, which is exactly what you do in business to your wealth that you track, you're going to win, <laughs> right? Like that, You will have the same transparency you have in the business in order to make the right decisions. Everything else we've just mentioned are the benefits that flow off that. So you're going to mitigate risk. You get to run scenarios. You get uh, better 
reporting to the bank's sleep at night factor, all these points. Like the biggest takeaway that I can just repeat is think of wealth same way you do in business in those three groups. I would just say, well, at least if you lose, you'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, but things will go down, right? But you'll know why. I'll come back to that interest rate example. Okay, interest rates go up. I know the impact it's going to have and I know why, right? Because if you know what's going wrong, you can make adjustments. Yeah. It's like it's a very, very powerful thing. Anyway, Grant, let's wrap this one up for today. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I just wanted to hammer that point home before I finish that because I, I thought that was so powerful. And again, anyone who's listening at this to this episode at home, if you do want the wealth tracker that sort of Charlie and I use, and yes, we are going to other tools and stuff like that, but this still serves us purpose today. It's just getting a little bit more manual than anticipated. Go onto assetblocks.com.au, click free resources and go and download the wealth tracker and download anything else that is there. We try and provide all of these tools to help you along your wealth creation journey as well. And if you did enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or even share it with someone else that you say, wow, you're not thinking about wealth this way. This might actually help you in tracking where you're going. And thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to catching you in the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.